Hi, everyone. Welcome to Casper Podcast. My name is Mila Maria, and I'm founder and EIC of Casper Magazine. Join me as I host and chat to some awesome humans about health, wellness, work, life, and anything else in between. But before I get into this episode, make sure you check out our IGTV version and follow or subscribe at Casper Magazine for your weekly dose of inspiration. Okay, let's get into it. Enjoy the show, everyone. Hey guys, welcome back to Casper Podcast. He's back with Habits Part 2. We welcome exercise scientist, osteopath, founder of Stay Tuned Sports Medicine and overall nice guy, Dr. Paul Herman. And this time we tackle how we can create positive and sustainable habits for a healthier lifestyle. Welcome back, Paul. It's good to have you back. Thanks. Nice good, to be here. Good to talk about habits again. Um, and pick up where we left off. But before we talk about that, I just want to say congratulations on your 20th anniversary of being in business now. That's a lot of habits, good habits there. Yeah, yeah 20 years. 20 flew years. Flew by our Baronia Clinic in the east suburbs of Melbourne started you know, 20 years ago. Actually started 21 years ago. So wow. we set up the business uh, in 1999, but it became a clinic and a company in August 2000. So wow. in the middle of our Melbourne stage four lockdown last year in 2020, we tried our best to celebrate our 20 year anniversary. Uh, We're going to hold it off and have a 21st birthday uh, this year. Well, you know, that's good. Yeah. I know this is not part of the Habit Podcast, but I'm going to ask you, what advice would you give to people in your industry that are embarking on starting a, a clinic or a wow. movement or a studio? Like- Don't do it. Run, run now. No, <laughs> that's not <all> good advice. <laughs> No, look, uh, it's actually, it does tie into what we're talking about today, which is habits, and it ties into everything at Stay Tuned that we do, which is all about our why. So before you embark, I think, on any business, whether it be in the health industry, medical industry, with any industry at all, you have to be really clear about why you're doing it. And the same about habits. We'll talk about this more later on, but why is so important. You know, you have to really be clear before you take that leap that step that journey as to why you're doing it and i think it's really important to constantly review that why and come back to it because it can be a re-motivator a refresher a rejuvenator um even if it's changes slightly even if your why alters slightly or develops or evolves coming back to it always is what for me particularly re regenerates or rejuvenates me to keep going forward. Yeah, that, that, that's kind of um, interesting. The, just to recap on what we spoke about last time and hopefully motivate the audience into creating or perhaps changing uh, old stagnant habits that sure. you know they're aware of but are not sure. There's a few things we, um, we kind of touched on and that was obviously the habit loop mm-hmm. um, and why our brains create habits. Um, and... You know, I think is it, it's a neurological thing, isn't it? It's an, it's an efficiency, yeah. So the, the concept and, I'll, uh, again, like I said last time in the last podcast, I come at this as an exercise scientist, as an osteopath, as a health practitioner. And from, you know, the 20 years of experience I've had in the health industry, helping people strengthen their good habits, change some of their, I hate the term bad habits, but some of the habits that they want to change or they want to let go of and help them understand how that habits can really affect their life and affect their day-to-day, affect their health and affect their efficiency. And as humans, the, I can't remember the author who said it, but that we are a summation simply of a repeated habit throughout the day. Mm. And when you think and you break down your day, a lot of it is simple habits. We get up in the morning, 
what is your first thing you do? And at some stage, we brush our teeth and we might have a shower and we put on our shoes and our socks. And we do a lot of these things without conscious decision or thought. So we don't wake up, generally speaking, most people don't wake up and go, I'm going to brush my teeth this morning and I'm going to do it for three and a half minutes or whatever the time frame may be. I'm going to use this toothpaste and this toothbrush and I'm going to brush my teeth in the following way. It's not a conscious thought. So we create habits in the brain and like I mentioned last time, like grooves on the record. When we do something so many times, it creates this groove so that our body doesn't have to think about it. It doesn't have to make a conscious decision to brush our teeth. We just go and do it. And if you're like me, it's 5.30 in the morning and I'm still half asleep when I'm brushing my teeth. So, you know, it's a good thing that I don't have to think about it because I probably haven't quite woken up yet. Mm. It's a habit. So we create efficiencies to free up space in our brain, kind of like the hard drive in our computer or the, the memory on our computer so that we can focus it on more important or other things throughout the day that need our, our conscious attention. Because a lot of those kind of simple habits, everyday habits, if you like, are subconscious habits. Mm. We don't necessarily think about it. We just kind of do it. Um, and, and I understand where a lot of people, but then sometimes these formations happen, these subconscious, I guess, patterns of habits that are not so good also happen where we do go unconscious and they can be a little detrimental to us or our well-being yeah. for that matter. Well, all habits become subconscious and they yeah. all become, so whether the, the, our brain doesn't determine whether a habit is good or bad. Mm. It's just a habit. It doesn't so that, know. It doesn't, no. does it? It's like, no. okay, this is what you do. And it goes back to that habit loop, that cue. Absolutely. Like you said, you get up in the morning and you, whatever your cue is. To it could be the just bathroom, getting up. It could be just getting up and go and, go and brush your teeth. Um, there was an interesting um, piece of research that came out. I remember reading Simon Sinek's book about this that, X percent, and I can't remember the figure, so I'm not going to make it up, but X percent of people wake up in the morning and the first thing they do is check their mobile phone. And of those people that check their mobile phone in the morning, there was a certain age bracket. The first thing they checked was social media. And of a slightly older age bracket, the first thing they checked was email. And it was very high percentages within those age ranges. But it was interesting that such a large percentage of people, the very first thing they do in the morning when they wake up is check their phone. Is that is that a that's a habit? Obviously, it's a habit. They've done it often enough that it's become so ingrained in the subconscious. It's gone. So we have conscious thought or decision making power, which comes from our prefrontal cortex, or the, yeah. the sort of the front and outer part of our brain. And whenever we do it so often, that it becomes a habit. Again, good or bad, it sort of goes down into like those grooves I was talking mm -hmm. about in the record. And they tend to the habits are formed in the basal ganglia, you know, which mm -hmm. is also where we store our emotions or we have our emotions. So uh, there's no. Um, no, there's, that efficiency is freed up to then free up the frontal cortex, the prefrontal cortex, to make more decisions. Okay. And again, I apologise to any neuroscientists out there if I'm getting any of these phrases wrong. But essentially, that's the kind of neuro loop that matches up with what we talk about, that stimulus response reward. Mm. So we wake up in the morning, waking up is the stimulus. The response is to check your phone. The brush reward, your teeth. The reward, yeah, or brush your teeth. The reward might be, that you see some news on the social media or you get a text message. So we're kind that. of looking for that little dopamine. Yeah, we are. First we're, thing in yeah, the morning. We're looking for that dopamine. Would you say dopamine, dopamine plays a huge part in creating habits? Dopamine plays a huge part in maintaining habits, yes. And and in the creation of them, yes, it can do. Because yep. it is a chemical the brain sets mm -hmm. off. And mm -hmm. with all the, I guess, technology. It's a happy hormone. It's a happy hormone. Mm -hmm. Depends where it's coming from, though, too. Because a happy hormone can come artificially and it can come naturally. If you're exercising, you get the happy hormone. Mm -hmm. 
But if you're probably dabbling in drugs, you can get well, the happy hormone. hormone. Yes, from gambles, still get yeah. the happy hormone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even when, and interestingly, even when they lose, they might get a hit of dopamine because really? it's the from it's the habit completion of doing the gamble or doing their emotion, whatever it may be, in a slot machine or something like that. They can still be sad, but get that hit. It's quite interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So it's the you're right. It's the completion of that stimulus or that response. So that, that, that cycle. Yeah. yeah. So I know you said motivation doesn't work and we, we've had, you know. <laughs> Just a blanket I, I, statement. Motivation doesn't work. Well, you know, it, doesn't, it, like doesn't, it. it does work to mm-hmm. a certain degree and we spoke about it earlier. I like to think of it as a bit of a Kickstarter. Yes, that's, right? that's a good way to describe it. It's a bit of a, if, you, if you're wanting to, to start something new and you want to create a habit of it, whether it's, uh, you know, you want to be healthy or you want to eat better, whatever the case may be for each individual is different, having a good motivator or something that motivates you to do it, whether it's, you know, fitting into a pair of jeans or, Mm. you said earlier, a wedding or something um, is a good way to start. But then what happens after you get there? That's it, yeah. That's the the tricky part because a lot of people find that, oh, well, you know what, I can fit into those jeans so I'll just, you know, don't worry about my exercise routine anymore or I'm married now so it doesn't really matter. This is the danger of motivation. So it's not that motivation doesn't work. Motivation can be very powerful. Motivation, as you say, can be a kickstarter. It's that motivation is challenging to have as the driving force long term. So let's say I'm motivated, as you mentioned wedding, I'm motivated to get fit for the wedding or to get healthy for the wedding or to achieve a certain weight or a certain size or a certain whatever it may be for the wedding. Oh, I achieve a dance. I want to complete this dance for the wedding. Mm -hmm. And then as you say, the wedding comes and the day comes and it's amazing. Then what helps you or what makes you practice that dance or do that exercise the next day? Because the motivation's done, it's gone, box is ticked. So you either then have to find another motivator and continually find more new motivations to keep you doing the activity or to keep you on track, so to speak. Um, and that's, that's hard. It's really hard to stay or to keep motivation as the driving force of action. Mm-hmm. Discipline, and, you know, we get motivated. Motivation also comes in level, whereas sometimes our motivation wanes, especially if the goal might be a long way down the track. So am I motivated to save $100,000 and it's going to take me 432 years to do that? (laughs) Then it's hard to stay motivated to put that dollar in the bank every week because it's so far away. We can set those shorter motivations, whereas if I create a habit of just doing that, putting that dollar in a bank or automating it, doing it on a certain day at a certain time, and it's just an automatic response, and I don't have to think about it. So I don't require motivation anymore because it's just a habit. It just happens. Yeah. Yeah, So, for example, the dancing at the wedding um, analogy, uh, let's say I created a habit that I went to dance class every Thursday night, Mm -hmm. and I went with my partner, and we were doing it to get ready for the dance at the wedding. Mm In preparation for that, and this is a little strategy we sometimes use with habits, in preparation for that, what I might do is four weeks before the wedding, I sign up for the next term or I buy the next six-month membership. So I'm pre-committed to that habit continuation beyond the event that I'm motivated for. Yeah, got you. So the the wedding comes, the wedding goes, I tick the box, yay, we had a fantastic dance, it was amazing, et cetera. 
but I'm still next Thursday. I'm getting up and I'm going to the dance class. Yeah, but that's you. But a lot of people. No, buy... not me. That's trust me. That's not. I'm not going to dance class on Thursday. Why? <laughs> I probably should the way I dance. But it's just a it's a technique that pre commitment yeah. technique. It could be dancing. It could be anything. It's a little bit like you go to let's say you're running for a fun run, mm-hmm. and you think I want to I want to run. I'm you know doing a little bit of running here and there. I want to do a fun run, and the fun runs in two months. Mm-hmm. If I that might be my motivator. It's reasonably short term. It's probably I can see two months away. I can know how many runs I've got to do to get there. I can work out how far I've got to run and how I can break down that distance, et cetera, et cetera. And I get to that run. If I've got nothing beyond that run, it might be challenging for me to be motivated two days later to get back up and do another run. If before the fun run, pre-commitment, before the fun run, I sign up for the next fun run, then I've created a continuation of that habit or a reason for continuation. Okay. So, I mean, so we don't have to then sort of climb the mountain. We've already signed off for the next mountain. There's no going back down and then trying to climb a new one or going back down and deciding, oh, where do I go next? I've already committed to the next one. So I've climbed a peak. I'm just continuing to the next peak and then the next peak. And so would you keep doing that until you actually form a habit? or or Because, I mean, a kind of... There will come a point where you go, well, you know, there's no more fun runs to sign up for it, it's, and it, it, you just do it. How often would you need to kind of continually, I guess, put these little motivations in front of you before you actually automatically go, I'm actually just going to do this without thinking about it? Yeah, and that's a really good question. So the, the challenge being if your run is ad hoc, in other words, I'm running a few times a week, but there's no system to my running, there's no habit creation. There's no stimulus response. The stimulus response reward being, in this instance, when I get home from work on Wednesday, I put my running gear on before I do anything. Mm-hmm. Now, if I start doing that, then X number of weeks, and depending on the research you read, it might be 21 events, some say up to 43, some are even saying it's over 60 now, 60 times of doing it, I won't even think about putting my running gear on on a Wednesday when I get home from work. I'll find myself, having got home from work, with my running gear on going, oh, when did I do that? When did I put my sneakers on? A little bit like you're in such a habit that when you drive to work, heaven forbid, sometimes you get there and think, how did I, I get, get here? here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you've done it so many times. And you still responded on that process to red lights, green lights, cars speeding up, slowing down, putting your indicators on, all those things that are subconscious, that are just habits because you've done them so many hundreds, if not thousands of times. So if your motivation is the fun run, and you're running ad hoc, oh, sometimes a Monday, sometimes a Tuesday, occasionally a Wednesday morning, sometimes a Thursday, you're going to find it hard to convert that motivator into a regular habit where you become a, inverted commas, runner. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that inverted commas because whatever you want to call a runner is whatever you want to call a runner. Whatever. A runner could be someone who runs once a week, once yeah. a fortnight, once a month. But if you consistently, for a period of time, do that, then it becomes a habit, i.e. if your runs are Wednesday when I get home from work and Saturday morning with the dog. And they're your two runs that you do religiously every week, consistently at the same time. And your body will start to subconscious them. You will no longer have to think when I get home from work on a Wednesday to put my running gear on, a bit like driving to work or driving home. It will just happen. You'll get home from work because you've done it so many times. You'll start to put that running gear on. You then don't have to think, oh, it's hot, it's cold, it's windy, it's rainy. It doesn't matter. You just go for your run. So it's got to be consistent on the same days at the same time before your brain goes, okay, this is like this is 
what's happening now. This yep. is normal. This is we're we're running at six o'clock Mondays and Fridays, or we're not snacking on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So not doing something is hard to be a habit. Habits are things we do. So okay, uh, okay. actually yeah. that's good. And cause... like I said at the start, our brain doesn't determine if they're good or bad. So the habit of getting home from work, putting my running gear on on a Wednesday and going for a run is a habit. Mm-hmm. It will become a habit after I do it X number of times. Yeah. Somewhere between 21 and 63. Uh, yes, but lots of times. Let's just say lots. If we do it for a long, long period of time and we do that repeatedly at the same time of the day, same cue, in other words, when I get in, I put in my running gear on and I go for a run. Um, that's a habit. The Equally, the habit could be when I get home, I sit on the couch and I eat a Tim Tam. If I do that enough, it's the same habit. It doesn't, the brain doesn't care whether it's a Tim Tam, which some people might define as not so healthy. They're not going to be one of those people, but not judging, not judging and not judging. quite endorsing Tim Tams. Uh, if they want to send me a packet or two, no. Uh, <laughs> if you, you, know, you have a chocolate biscuit, it's, that's a, or a snack, as you call it. You know, you get yeah. home and that's a habit. Your brain doesn't determine whether that's a good or bad. Yeah. It's just a habit. So there's Behavior? lots of. Habit. Well, it's they're the they're the same sort of thing, you know. A repeated behavior becomes a habit. A chosen behavior is a conscious decision to action in a certain way. But if you repeat that conscious decision to act in a certain way at the same time or same response to a stimulus repeatedly for many many times, it becomes a habit. And this is the beautiful thing about the brain. It's not biased or discriminatory in any way. It doesn't call them good or bad. They're just habits. They're just things that it goes. Here's the stimulus. Well, here's how we respond because we always have responded in that way. We'll have the chocolate biscuit or we'll go for the run. So interestingly, like you mentioned, how do we change that? Well, there's a few techniques and a few pathways I know we're going to go through today as to how do we tackle some of those ingrained habits that we might then determine are no longer serving us or no longer healthy for us or things we don't want to do anymore. If we have the same, if we create a habit and that stimulus reoccurs. So let's say we use the example Let's say I grew up and every time I hung out with Johnny, we'd have a beer and a cigarette on a Friday at five o'clock after work. Mm-hmm. And let's say I didn't work with Johnny anymore and I changed jobs and my work routine changed. I might stop the beer and the cigarette. If I went back and caught up with Johnny five years later on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock, there's a fair chance I'd revert back to that habit and have a beer and a cigarette. Again, the brain doesn't determine. Exactly. The stimulus was there. So the brain wants to complete that stimulus with a response. And its response is the thing that's ingrained in it, which in that case was the beer and the cigarette. And again, the brain doesn't determine if it's good or bad. It just, that's your stimulus, that's a response. So to answer your question, you can't, the, the, from what my understanding of the research I've read is that you don't necessarily ever change or remove the response to the stimulus. But of course, we have a choice as to whether we expose ourselves to the same stimulus. Yeah, I don't have to go and see Johnny on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock. If I want to catch up with him, I might catch up with Johnny for breakfast mm. because it's a different stimulus on a Monday morning or a Sunday morning breakfast. I'm less likely to have the beer and cigarette. It's a different, different, yeah. different response. We were talking about this, I was talking about with a patient today, and the stimulus being that every Friday after work, they go to this one bar, well, back when they were allowed to, you know, when there were only lockdowns and bars were open and all those sorts of things, <laughs> thanks COVID, uh, they'd go to this one bar Friday after work and they'd have a few beers. And the patient was saying to me, I really wanted to stop having the beers. And I couldn't stop having the beers until I stopped going to the bar. 
So that for them, yeah. they removed stimulus. But she, she recognised, oh, sorry, I don't know whether he or she, recognised mm. that that was their stimulus. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people don't. And that was great. That was the awareness. And this is what I try and teach patients is I'm not here to tell you what to change or what's good or bad, mm. but to understand what creates your responses. Mm. And then if you can understand that and the stimulus component, you can choose to either change the stimulus or you can choose to sometimes alter the response while still having a response. Yeah, yeah. So we'll stay with the stimulus. If you choose, then you know and you become aware that going to that pub on a Friday afternoon at five o'clock in the same bar, you generally have a beer and you've done that for quite a while. You can choose for a while or choose long-term to not go to that bar and replace that stimulus with another stimulus. Okay, if you go to another bar, fair chance you probably could have another drink oh, at five true. o'clock on a Friday. But if you choose to go to the movies, for example, you're probably not gonna have the beer. Well, I think is it Charles Duggan? Duhigg. Duhigg talks about that. Yeah, so Charles Duhigg, the author of Power of Habit. Power of Habit. He Mm. talks about that changing the cue. Changing the cue, yeah, changing the stimulus or cue. Yeah, yeah, yeah Different yeah. researchers talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. Different cue, Same thing, response reward or yeah, stimulus yeah, yeah. response reward. Yep, change absolutely. your cue so then you change your response and then think of a reward like, you know, what does that give you? What does the beer give mm. you with your mate? What's the reward for that? Is it you feel great being with your mate, happy, think of something else? Yeah, I remember there was, uh, he was a patient of mine a long time ago and I, I didn't have an influence on this, but I remember him telling me the story of how he replaced every time he got to a certain part of the day, he felt uh, he felt no stress or anxiety and he would take a Valium. He had a Valium addiction. Mm-hmm. So his therapist at the time advised him to replace the Valium addiction. He lived over the road from a service station and he said, oh, go and buy a newspaper. Every time you feel like you need a Valium, go buy a newspaper. So this guy would buy enormous numbers of newspapers every week, but he ended up replacing the Valium addiction with the newspaper purchase addiction. Oh, that's okay. which it's a better addiction well, to have. Minimizing, <laughs> and it was, that was approach was minimising the harm. So yeah. he didn't try and stop the habit. It was when he felt, as you mentioned, that stimulus to complete the loop to then get the reward, but instead of that completion of the loop being a, a dangerous drug or Valium in this case, he completed it with an innocuous thing of buying a newspaper. You know, cost him a few bucks a day, probably cheaper than the other option. And he got his steps up going across the road to the uh, service station. So, yeah, you're right. There's, there's going to be that loop. And one of the ways is to avoid the stimulus or change the stimulus. So avoid the pub on a Friday afternoon, go to the movies. Yeah. Avoid the pub on a Friday afternoon, go home or go somewhere else. Do fill it with something else and then you're replacing the stimulus so you can expect a different response. Or replace the response so, for example, you mentioned earlier the afternoon snack when you get home from work. Mm. You get home from work, and this is a really common one in patients, get home from work, sit on the couch, what's the first thing? Grab a beer, grab a wine, grab a chocolate bi- biscuit, whatever it may be. So if we changed that response, sit on the couch, grab a frozen mango, and people are going to laugh. But get something that you quite like, but it doesn't have your perceived harm of whatever it is you're trying to replace. Frozen bananas are good. Frozen bananas, there you go. They're actually yeah. really good. I just remember a friend of mine loves frozen mango. So she would sit on the couch eating frozen mango. Yeah. It's obviously a, uh, arguably, it's a healthier choice than a chocolate mm. biscuit, especially mm. at you know, high levels of consumption. So the point being that the stimulus was still there. Go home, sit on the couch, but instead of having the response filled by uh, something that she was deeming uh, unhealthy that she wanted to change, she refilled it with something that was healthier, uh, less harmful. Um, response and she still got the same reward mm. the brain still completed the cycle tick the box have it done so you're right back to your very first question it is very hard if not 
arguably, from what I've read, almost impossible to change or to break, to stop a habit. We avoid the stimulus, change the stimulus, we change the response. But if you have the same stimulus, it's going to be very hard to, you know, if you go to the pub, probably not going to go for the frozen mango piece. Yeah, so we've got to think about it in certain circumstances, we can change the response, but in some, we're better off changing the stimulus. Reward always looks after itself. Mm-hmm. The box gets ticked. It does get ticked. So back to the motivation in creating new habits or better habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so motivation, it's not going to last, like you said, unless you're constantly putting something in front of you. It's or, a difficult you know, one. It's, yeah. it's a difficult one. So <laughs> how do we, what can we do um, that to help us? And I'm a big believer of baby steps. I've always said this, said this like, you know, don't uh, overestimate what you can do. And I think as humans, we generally kind of go, oh, yeah, I can do that, I can do that, and then we do it. And we go, that was really hard. I don't mm-hmm. know if I can do that. And then we do it again, and you go, yeah, no, nah, I can't do this. This is yeah. way, way too hard. Um, and it's really hard to then go, I can't form a habit. This is, I had a girlfriend of mine that started running with me years ago, and she said, oh, I, can, I, I'm, I used to run, I can get up early and, and run. And then she did it for two, three days. She goes, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> like, but, you know, it's like, I can't do this. So uh, how do we get to that point where our brain, it, we've ingrained it in our brain where we don't have to think about it and it does literally become habitual? Yeah, look, there's so many different strategies to follow here that will work for different people. And some strategies work for some, other strategies work for others. Some people can just get up and, and do it and just create you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna be a runner and they'll get up the next morning and start running and they'll run every day for the rest of their life and good on them it's fantastic i'm not one of those people uh it's hard i find it difficult to more challenging to create new habits uh even though i've read immense amounts about it and been dealing with this with my patients and with you know fitness industry uh for you know over a decade now it is hard it is really challenging so you've got to find the strategy that works for you one that I talk about with patients all the time is piggybacking. And we've spoken about this yeah, before, yeah. habit stacking, some people refer to it as. So, for example, I'm always telling patients, oh, I need you to do this stretch. Yeah. I need you to do this exercise. It's going to help uh, with whatever the condition, the injury may be, whatever they're trying to uh, achieve. So uh, in the morning, I say, well, do you have a shower every morning? Yeah, I have a shower every morning. Okay, well, while the water's heating up, in that 30 seconds, do your stretch. Yeah. Because you know then you'll get your stretch done once a day. Mm. And it will start to create a habit quite quickly because you have a shower every morning, so it's at least well, seven times a week. And if they have a shower at night, you watch, they'll do it again because the yeah. habit of the action of turning on the shower is then stimulating the brain to do the stretch. So very quickly, over a period of a short number of weeks, they can do enough repetitions that that starts ingraining the habit of doing the stretch whenever the shower is turned on. Actually, that's true. And I've done this with numerous, numerous patients over the years. And the reporting, anecdotal reporting evidence back to me is that even when they go on holidays and they're in a different environment or a different country, different time zone, when they turn the shower on in the hotel, they do their stretch because it's such a subconscious habit. So piggybacking. Well, I do that with my runners. I know you've been on my back about stretching before I go and run, and I actually... Warm me up before you go and run, yes. Yeah, well, that's true. (laughs) Um, But I actually have made it. I thought I really need to get onto this because obviously as you get older, you you actually can't not warm up and not stretch. So now the minute I put my runners on, and it doesn't matter, 
if I'm going for a run, if I'm walking, if I'm just going across the road <laughs> to buy bread and milk. Yep. I'll stretch or I'll do more. And this is the goal is to get, when we're trying to create habits that we want, we're trying to get it to that subconscious level that we've done enough repetitions with enough consistency of the stimulus that our response is is without thought, that we just do it. You put your sneakers on, you do your stretch. Again, it's just, that's a piggybacking approach. There are numerous types of strategies or numerous strategies we can do to create habits. That one is piggybacking or stacking. Okay. Uh, the other one that we can do is this, you know, motivation approach. Mm-hmm. Find ourselves the why, or find ourselves the motivation behind the habit we're trying to create, and to cognitively write it down. Why do I want to run? Okay. Write down all the reasons. How am I going to feel after I'm inverted commas a runner? So you're, you're adding emotion. I'm adding reason or why. So why do I want to run? Now, why I want to run might be because I want to improve my sporting performance. That's fine. Or I want to lose weight. Or I want to improve my leg strength. Or I want to be able to run with my kids. Or I want to be able to run with my grandkids. Or I want to... There's thousands of reasons why someone might want to start running or become into a running habit. But whatever it is, it's important to them. So if they write it down, if they really articulate it, really see that reason clearly, a little bit like we said at the start, why would you start a business? Well, you need to, sorry, what's the advice for starting a business? Be very clear on your why. Same thing if we're starting a habit. This is one of the strategies. Be really clear on your why. Because you default back to the why, don't you? Because when you it becomes hard it. Yeah, exactly. and, and, and there is no motivation there, you can kind of default back and go, why am I actually doing this? Oh, yeah, that's right, because it makes me feel good or it's going to be good for me long term or whatever the, whatever your reason is. Having that external motivator. So And writing it down, you know, people talk about sticking it on their fridge or putting it on their wall or having you know, vision boards and things like that. These are all external motivators to remind us why we're doing something. So when that, as you say, that motivation is low or when that fatigue sets in and we're like those days we think, oh, I just don't want to go for the run today. I know it's Wednesday. I put my runners on, but then <laughs> I might stretches, just look I really over don't to, go. <laughs> Yeah, I might look over to my fridge and go, there's my why. Okay, I'm going to go for the run. Yeah. And I know I'm going to feel better afterwards. Then we have this, um, and I can't remember his name. He's another researcher who talks about his MEA or MIA. MEA it is. His minimal minimal enjoyable activity. So oh. this is a guy who I remember listening to his podcast a while back and he wanted to start, you know, finally we talk about running, he wanted to start running. And he hates running, hated it, hated it with a passion. And still to this day he says, I don't love it. Really? But I'm in such a habit of doing it. So his, his minimal sort of approach was, I'm not going to go for a run. I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. I'm going to go for a walk. And at some stage in my walk, I might do a few running steps. But as soon as the moment I feel tired, I'm going back to walking. And he would do this. And every day he'd go for his walk and he'd run a little bit more. And he said after a week or so, he was finding himself, he might have only been running 5% of the walk. So he might have been running from you know one driveway to the next or across one road to this part or up to this next street light. And then he said he just over time found himself running more and more. But he always stuck to the rule that as soon as he felt any discomfort from the run, as soon as he wasn't enjoying it, which is against all this society message of no pain, no gain, you know, push through the pain. What was that? The horrible one I, I saw recently was um, sweat is your fat crying. Oh, I hate that. Oh, I how hate bad that. is I've that? I've seen that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, that does not want to make me 
make me want to work out. Yeah, That's like really We should bad. never use shame or no. uh, as a motivator. So let's just put that out there. Negative motivators are not great for us, okay? They should always no. use positive motivator. And this is what this guy was saying was instead of pushing through pain or pushing through discomfort, as soon as he felt it, he'd stop. And he said it took him a lot, a long time to run the whole circuit, but at no stage ever did he feel discomfort in his walk run because he would never allow himself. As soon as he felt discomfort, he'd just go back to walking. But the most important thing I feel like with that example is the consistency of it. Yes. All right. I think that consistency plays a huge role in, in habit, habit exactly. formation. Exactly. If he did that once every three did, weeks yeah, and yeah. once there, once there, it probably wouldn't work. And, and Atomic Habits talks about it as well um, <clears> where he says, um, you know, just go and do something for two minutes. Yes. Two minutes only. Yep. That's it. You know, and I, I like that, especially if you're starting something new and you're a bit trepidatious about it and you're not sure and you're like, mm, I don't know if I like this. Mm. Just doing it for two minutes is 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 fine and yep. just and then slowly building that up because chances are and chances are you'll end up doing it for five minutes or ten minutes before you know it. Mm. Certainly doesn't have to be that we start and this is one of the dangers of trying to start new habits is that it's this all or nothing principle like you mentioned your friend who went running early in the morning twice maybe doing it two mornings extremely in a row wasn't the best idea for her if she'd done a slower approach in terms of look i'm not going to join you for the whole run you get up at five you start running then i'll join you at six for the last kilometer Yeah, yeah 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 and then over time maybe i'll join you for at 10 to 6 and then quarter to 6 and I'll slowly build up my tolerance as you will or build up my amount without having to go because the fear is if you try and set your new habit and it's too unrealistic or it's too big or it's too much to swallow what happens when you fail you well, don't this feel is great, thing. do you? And you, you don't. You, it puts you off trying again. So you, 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 you're heading for a bit of a setback. Yes. And then you then you go, well, it didn't work when I tried to do the push-ups. So it didn't work when I tried to do the, the, the running. So what's the point in it? You stopped even trying. Yeah, and we all know you people know. who have said, oh, I tried that, but there's no way. I just can't do that. Think, I just can't do well, it. Logically, that's a silly statement. Of course you can. But this is a million just, ways of we, doing we stuff. We feel like that when we fail so many times. So my advice is there, don't set yourself up with a too big a goal or a too big a expectation. You know, if you want to start running as an example, maybe choose how many times a week you go for the run. Or like consistently you go, I'm going to start running. But to start with, I'm just going to do the walk, 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 a bit of run and walk. And I'm just going to do it on Saturday mornings. Yeah. And consistently every Saturday morning I'm going to do it. And that's going to be my weekly habit. And then after a while, I might want to add in a Wednesday morning and do the same thing. And after a while, I might want to add in a Monday. So then I'm Saturday, Monday, Wednesday. And that might be enough. That might be all you want to do. Yeah, yeah. But don't start off with necessarily, consider not starting off with, I'm going to do three runs a week and it's going to be five Ks per run. And I haven't run in two years and I'm probably going to book a session with the osteopath <laughs> next week because I'll have torn something. No, um, <laughs> just, yeah, it's maybe start small steps. Well, well, I think repetition and emotion are really important. And I mm. think a, a repetition of something, uh, as you've been talking about um, through the podcast, is, is super important in ingraining the brain and, and creating that neuropathway, but also attaching an emotion that is a positive one. And when you set yourself smaller goals, achievable goals, realistic goals of where you are at right now in your life, 
the chances are it'll you'll pat yourself on the back and go, yeah, Absolutely. what? Well done. You get that sense well of accomplishment. Yep. You do. And yep. so then you'll go, uh, that's gives your, you the courage your to go motivator, further, isn't it, yep. if you will? It gives that's you the confidence, your kind yeah. of natural motive going, well, well, you know what, I did okay. You know, it's been five days and I've been doing, you know, two push-ups every day. But, hey, that's good. Maybe I'll try three, you know. Yep. And then you achieve that. So I think Bite-Sized Pieces is a really good book called Tiny Habits, which I actually quite like. And it's got some really interesting ways of kind of looking at things and kind of breaking the goal down. Mm-hmm. And I know we spoke about it as well, you know, creating smart goals and kind of breaking them down um, and looking at, okay, if that's where you want to be, what steps do we need to take to get there and yeah. what can we implement right now that's going to give you positive feedback um, as opposed to, you know, overextending yourself and not being able to achieve mm. that and then give you that negative feedback that kind of sets you back. Well, that's it. So, I mean, so far we've talked about the, op- the options of piggybacking or habit stacking, so yeah. connecting it to an existing activity. Talked about the MEA or the minimum uh, enjoyable activity, so trying to do small bits amongst an existing activity, like the gentleman who was adding running to his walk or adding walks with small runs. And we talked about goal setting or, you know, looking at our reasons why and really writing them down and being clear. There's a couple of other strategies that uh, in the in the readings and in the research that they talk about. And this is, some of these are reasonably common these days. So public commitment, and you'll see people do this where they commit publicly to something. And this might be something like FebFast. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to put it on social media that in February, I'm not going to consume any alcohol. And if I do, I'm going to pay X dollars to this charity. Okay. You know, it's a public commitment, which it's not necessarily, it's, it's, not, it's not binding, it's an honest system, but it, it's, it puts it out there. And I know there was one story that was of a, an explorer and he wrote himself, his word was everything. So he really, you know, really held his word in high regard. If he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. And on his exploration that was halfway through, he was actually in South Africa trying to find another explorer who'd been lost and he'd been sent over there to find him. And he wrote this letter to himself that they found on him that said, uh, I will not give up until I find, and I can't remember the it's explorer's name, um, we'll call him Bob. Until I find Bob, I will not give up. I will not die. I cannot die. I shall not die. And nothing will stop me until I find Bob. Alive or dead, I will find Bob. And because he'd written it down, it was his commitment, kind of like us putting it on social media in this day and age, that was his commitment. So that was his public to himself commitment that I'm going to continue doing what I said I was going to do, my habit, until, and that's it. So this is fine, Bob. Next podcast. There's a really great ending to this story, which I won't tell you about now. But there's another podcast. It's a true story. It's a true story about these two explorers. But um, the the so public commitment is one way, and the oldest, I guess, example of this is, um, and I'm going to say his name wrong, Odysseus, who was the Greek. Uh, in Greek mythology right. and the sirens. So Odysseus was on the, the boat knowing that they were going to travel through the area of the sirens and the voice of the singing sirens was in mythology was enough to send captains of their boats crazy and they'd steer the boat into the rocks and perish. So Odysseus, knowing that he was coming through the area where the sirens were, said to his crew, tie me to the mast. So his pre-commitment, his pre-commitment to that was to tie me to the mast because he knew that before he got to that point, he had to do something to stop himself acting on the stimulus of the sirens. 
Yeah, so again, it's a little bit like that. Before I get to the wedding, I'm going to sign up for the next term of, of dance classes, my pre-commitment to future habit. Okay. Yeah, so he's using this method of pre-commitment. Before I get there, I have to take this step to either stop myself just um, responding to the stimulus or you can do a pre-commitment to make sure that I'm going to respond to the stimulus in the way I want, like the dancing dancing okay. lessons so i might come into christmas period and think do i want to wait till january to renew my gym membership no i'm going to do it now i'm going to commit and sign myself up for that group fitness class the pilates class on the 4th of jan i'm going to book myself in because then i'm pre-committed to making sure i attend but what if you don't attend even though you've pre-committed what's that <laughs> <laughs> That's not cool. <laughs> it depends on the reason. Um, yeah, well, you know, this is just methods that will help. No judgment. No, no judgment. No judgment. No, judgment. no these are just yeah. strategies to try and decrease the likelihood because it's harder at the time to make that decision on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Right, waiting until then. When the, the motivation is finished, the wedding is over, to then make that decision, I'll sign up for dance classes again. Okay. If I've already signed up, I'm going to continue on, especially if I've signed up and already prepaid it. Okay. Yeah. So it's a little bit like the Feb Fast or people will do. There's a whole bunch of things on social media now. I'm going to, every year, myself and a few members in our team, we do the push-up challenge for mental health. Yeah, I know. So, and we, we commit publicly to doing over 3,000 push-ups uh, for mental health in 21 days. So uh, it's a public commitment before the date that we're going to do that. So when it starts, we're pre-committed, we're publicly committed you know, there's ramifications, if not just embarrassment, if we don't follow through on our commitment. So this is why I don't like public commitment. No, they're not for everybody. It's no, like, oh, my God, it, 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 I get nervous. Hmm. I get really nervous. And it's not that I won't – I'm not nervous about not achieving it. I guess I'm probably more nervous about what if something happens and I can't achieve it, you know, and then and I've already put myself out there. And this is the thing. This is – exactly a really great point that not every strategy is for everybody mm. so you can't say to someone this is the strategy you should follow mm-hmm. what we try and do is give people the knowledge and the awareness like we're doing right now in this podcast of all these strategies and one will hopefully connect Keep to them tweaking. align to yeah. them and it might the one that aligns to you now might be a different one that aligns to you a year from now or for a different habit that you're trying to create I might down the track not want to publicly pre-commit to doing those push-ups but I may still do it Mm. Yeah, so it might not connect to me down the track. But right now, I'm I'm pretty happy with that as my method of committing to doing those push-ups for that because I also have a strong motivator that I really believe in the cause that it helps raise money for mental health. Yeah, yeah, which is a great one. So it's basically identifying what what it is that you want to do, what your triggers are, Mm -hmm. or if you don't have a trigger, creating a motivator, as you said, Mm -hmm. whether it's publicly going out there or piggybacking or doing something for a minute and slowly work out what it is for you. What's your strategy? What's your strategy? Yeah. Um, and, and, And then take it from there. And if it doesn't work, try something else. Exactly. That's really, really, really important. If that strategy doesn't work, as we've mentioned today, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of strategies other, you can try. Yeah, because I think the don't the, give up. No, exactly. And I think also once you understand how the the habit works, how your brain creates a habit, it's much easier hmm. to then form new habits. And even to change a habit, I think uh, quit. Um, who's the the group that help people commit uh, quit smoking? Uh, say that it takes on average four times for someone to break, change, or alter the habit of smoking. 
So again, don't quit just because the first time it didn't work, whether you're trying trying. to change a habit or whether you're trying to create one, try a different way. Yeah, because you're human. And, you know, and it takes a little while to build good habits. Yep. You know. The other thing is really important, which we haven't touched on, is the the researchers Di Clemente and Prokaska in 983, they created this um, cycle or this model for behavioural change. I think we might have mentioned it a bit I think we did. Podcast. I think we did mention, um, mention it a little bit in the last podcast. But The only reason I bring it up is they consider, and what's very different in their model to a lot of other researchers, is they consider relapse as part of the cycle of change. So if you're trying to create a habit and you relapse or you fall off the bandwagon or you cease that habit for a period of time, that is actually a stage in their model. It's not falling off the bandwagon. It's not failure. It's not, oh, I give up now. It's just, okay, I'm going through this phase, whether it's relapse, I'm partaking in the habit I'm trying to stop or change, or I've ceased doing the habit that I'm trying to create. Mm. It's just a stage, and I continue through that stage and try and get back onto the cycle of the habit I'm trying to create or changing the habit I want to alter as quickly as I possibly can by going back to my why, reading my motivators, reminding myself what I'm doing, getting back into the stimulus consistency, going to that day and that time, sitting down at the piano, not going to the pub on the Friday, whatever it may be, get straight back onto that. But don't consider relapse as anything other than a normal stage of behavioural change. That's so important because the relapse is one of those things where we go, oh, well, you know, I've Don't give up on it. And yeah. then you give up. And it's easy to do because a relapse always comes with a negative emotion. It doesn't necessarily come with a positive one. You don't you don't relapse and go, oh, good on you. Yep. You relapse and you go, oh, crap, now I've got to start all over again. Yep. You know, um, but knowing that it's, it's okay and it's mm. part of the process uh, makes it you know, reverts it back into something positive yep. and into something achievable. And it's just, yeah, we remove all guilt and shame from that relapse and we remove all of those negative emotions you talked mm. about because it is a normal stage of behavioural change. Mm. One last question. Mm-hmm. What's your favourite habit book? I've got three now. My favourite <laughs> habit book. Look, I'm a big fan of Atomic Habits with James Clear. Same. Yeah. Same, um, same. I'm also a big fan. There's an Audible, it's not really a book, it's a series on Audible called In the Habit. Oh, that's the and one that, that, that's, that you sent me to listen to. Yeah, Alice that's Fraser and Ash Rampura, I think his surname is. And they're fantastic because that's a lot of the stories I've just told have come from that podcast or that series. Uh, so it's on Audible and that's uh, it's free for anyone who's got a membership on Audible. It's actually a I'll free, put the, I'll, free put that, I'll put the link up yeah, on, well, um, on yeah, the website. Good. And um, so The other one I love can... is Dr. Tim Sharp, who's otherwise known as the Happy Doctor ah, or Dr. Happy. Yeah. And his is Habits for Happiness. And his, his, I also just love his voice. He's a delight to listen to. So, Is he? Yeah, he's great. And he's got a few different podcasts and Audible uh, releases out there as well. So he's great. Anyway, so uh, my, my last piece of advice to people would be, yes, look, if there are habits you're trying to change, uh, do so with conviction, but also do so with kindness. And if there are habits you are trying to create, again, do so with conviction, with consistency, but just keep at it. Don't give up. That's really wise advice. Really, consistency is key. Be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't overestimate your abilities. Be realistic. Um, And, yeah, good repetition leads to good emotions, leads to great habits. 
Hey guys, hope you enjoyed this episode on Habits Part 2. If you'd like to connect with Paul and his Stay Tuned team, head to www.staytune.com.au or head to our website link, www.caspermagazine.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find more podcasts with Dr. Paul, as well as links to his socials and book recommendations. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and ciao for now.